This podcast is brought to you by Aldis International, supplying your expert AI and digital transformation staffing needs across the US and Europe. Today, you are listening to our AI in Action series, where leading minds in AI from across the world share their story, success, and advice. AI in Action cuts through the hype and explores the true impact of artificial intelligence in our world today. You're listening to AI in Action. I'm your host, JP Valentine. Our guest today is David Sutton. David is the Director of Innovation at FeatureSpace. David, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. I think it's a fabulous idea for a podcast to get beyond the hype and actually delve deep into AI in Action. Well, let's start with yourself then, David. Let the audience know who they're listening to. Could you give us a bit of an overview of your background in technology and your journey from where you got started, some of the roles you've held along the way, and what's led you to where you are today at FeatureSpace? My background is as a data scientist, but I didn't start out as a data scientist. So I originally started out as an astrophysicist, and this would have been the early noughties, going through university, going on to do a PhD. So I did my PhD at the University of Oxford, and it was quite heavily focused towards what I would now identify as data science. But in the late noughties, that phrase did not yet exist. It was analytics and data analysis. And so I finished up my PhD thinking about what to do next. Data science didn't exist. Operational research was something that some industries did. I didn't think that was particularly interesting. I continued the path on astrophysics and moved to Cambridge, did a postdoc at which I was working on a big international collaboration called Planck, where we were mapping the cosmic microwave background. And in particular, my responsibility was to find galaxy clusters in that data set. So a secondary use case within that project, but something that I had a fair amount of control and could make a difference on. And it was around 2014 that I did a summer school at JPL, at Jet Propulsion Laboratory, on big data analytics. And a lot of the really interesting algorithms I'd come across were being discussed in application to astrophysics. And I was like, ah, this math is very familiar, but what you can do with these algorithms, these machine learning algorithms, really excited me. And within nine months, I'd quit as as an astrophysicist and was looking to transition into data science. And I did this with a wonderful startup in London. It was a startup at the time called Faculty, faculty faculty.ai. And what they did was to set up data science fellowships where they actively recruited academics who at that time wouldn't have had a portfolio of data science projects to fall back on and may not have had the soft skills to work in industry and give them a chance. So give them that soft skills training, actually place them with a with a company to solve a data science problem. And I was very lucky to be placed with a company in the UK called EasyJet, which is a low budget airline to work on a project with them for a few months, which went very well. It was a lot of fun. And so, yeah, I say startup at the time, faculty went on to become a company of around three or 400 people now and has quite a high profile. So the initial thing that they did, which was to try and solve the supply problem in data science as it was in 2014 or 15 has gone very well for them. And then, yeah, so I was sitting in Cambridge and thinking, well, what do I do next? I had applications in many places, but there was a company just over the road from the office that I worked in called FeatureSpace that was really, really attractive. I interviewed there and the people 
that were interviewing me were quite inspirational. I was thinking, I want, I want to go to this company so I can learn from these people. The work that the company was doing was also ethically grounded. So it was trying to make the world a safer place and to fight financial crimes. And it wasn't just trying to sell people more, which at least in the early days was a big application of machine learning. And it wasn't, it wasn't just trying to make rich people richer. It was trying to leave the world a better place. So you've given a hint, David, as to, to feature space as an organization and certainly your journey and what's led you to where you are today. So let's jump straight into it. So tell us all about feature space, who you are, what you do, the mission of the business. So feature space is a spin out of the University of Cambridge and was founded by a machine learning professor called Bill Fitzgerald and his PhD student, Dave Excel. And its mission is quite simple. It's to make the world a safer place to transact. Transactions are hugely necessary because we need them in order to gain goods and services. But unfortunately, there are financial criminals out there and any payment system will have its have its weaknesses exposed by financial criminals. So we're talking about things like fraud and scams and money laundering. And what Feature Space does is to build systems for banks and other financial institutions that allow them to manage that risk. This has at its core machine learning and artificial intelligence. We deploy a brand of machine learning that we call adaptive behavioral analytics. This is about really understanding the behaviors of individuals as it's expressed through their transaction behavior. So the idea is that if you can understand that behavior, understand that genuine behavior, then fraud behavior, which is not them, or potentially is them acting well out of their established character in the case of a scam, that that behavior will stand out as a massive anomaly. Interesting. So there's a lot we want to talk about here. Your role has evolved over the years at Feature Space. As you mentioned, you joined as a data scientist, moving up the ranks to a lead data scientist for a period being the head of ML, then the director of analytical technology. But your role there was director of innovation. So what does that entail? What are your core responsibilities and walk us through the, some of the projects that you're working on? I've been at Feature Space for about eight years now, and the role has changed every couple of years. And a big part of that is being in a company that's growing extremely quickly. So we've managed a, a 50% year-on-year growth in over those eight years. And that's a pretty thrilling thing if you can join a company like that, because it means there are opportunities everywhere. And there isn't really a, a lot of more static organizations as a kind of zero-sum game that gets played. And that's something that I've never experienced in industry because I've been in a company like Feature Space. Yeah, I've had roles as a practicing data scientist, a lead data scientist, an engineering manager, and now I'm director of innovation. And that means I look after our research and development program, but I try and do that thoroughly grounded in the understanding of our customers and the understanding of our kind of existing engineering stack, because you need to be able to ground innovation in both the cost to developing new capabilities, and most importantly, the value that will be delivered to your customers by those capabilities. And yeah, I'm in, in a lucky position, I hope, to be able to provide the insights on both of those sites. Uh, you asked about projects as well. And the first project that I think, so I guess there are, there are three projects I'd like to talk about. Something from the past, something that we're working on a lot now, and something from the future. So the past project is now something that we have propagated into production. So this is now something that is out there in the, in the real world. And this is a product feature that we call automated deep behavioral networks. And what these are a deep RNN, a recurrent neural network that work 
works in the scope of an individual cardholder's purchasing behavior. With fraud and financial crimes, your feature extraction, your AI feature extraction need, you know, it, it cannot be what we would call transient. It has to be stateful. It needs to build up states so that you can build up context on uh, from what uh, people have done before in order to put any new choices or actions into kind of a feature space where anomalies will stand out. And in moving to use recurrent neural networks, what we're trying to do is to leverage deep learning's ability to engineer those features rather than just relying on the continuous ingenuity of a data scientist. Ultimately, we spend several years building a fraud model and it gets to a point that all of the low-hanging ideas have been thoroughly used and the next step is to basically bring stochastic gradient descent onto the problem. So to find those more subtle and finer tuned features that you need to learn and you just can't intuit as a human. You are listening to the Aldis Podcast. When you're looking to scale your team or if you are interested in showcasing your company in a future episode, reach out today. Or if you're in the market for a new role, visit our website to view open positions www.aldis.com. So David, that's the historical projects. You're, you've got a project that you're working on right now, which is equally as interesting and impactful. Could you share some more details on that, please? So we're currently working on a privacy enhancing technologies, and it's something that we began around, around a year ago. And the, the kind of motivation of the problem here is that in fighting financial crime, various banks and other financial institutions on both sides of the payment will have access to data that is very predictively useful, but private. It's sensitive data pertaining to the to a citizen. And so that is data that, the, that banks can't allow outside of their own systems. And this will be both for regulatory reasons and for reasons of competition as well. You don't necessarily want to share data on your customers with other groups who are competing with you. And this sort of produces attention. And the governments of the United States and the United Kingdom have actually tried to take a leadership role in this case to provide progress on this problem. And so what they've done is to organize an international data science challenge called the Privacy Enhancing Technologies Challenge, or PETS for short. And this is a challenge that we're competing in at the moment. In phase one, we had to produce a white paper outlining our technology to solve the problem. There were 76 proposals that were received and 12 were given prizes and invitations to proceed to phase two. And phase two is where things really got interesting because this is where we were asked to build a prototype. Uh, we weren't given very long. We were given 90 days to build a prototype, which in technology development terms is a blink of an eye. But having an aggressive time like that is great for focusing a team on the problems at hand. And it, the deadline for completing that prototype was late January. And I'm delighted to say that we were invited to phase three on the basis of our results. And phase three is probably the most interesting aspect of, the, of all, which is where the um, the government organized red teams will attack that prototype in order to assess its privacy enhancing characteristics. So we've already proven that our model is one of the most performant to, to be in phase two of the challenge. 
in terms of its ability to detect fraud and financial crime, but it's going to be attacked by red teams in order to validate claims that we've made around its privacy enhancing technology aspects. So that's super exciting. So that's the past, present, and and now leading nicely into the future projects. David, I want to get your take on the project roadmap ahead, particularly the next two years. As the director of innovation, you're heavily involved in shaping the future direction of the business as a whole. And with that, the impact that it will have to the broader data team. So when you look at the, the project roadmap, what are some of the things that you're expecting to work on? What are you excited about? And what impact will that have to your ever growing organization, particularly focused on the data positions? In terms of the next couple of years, I think there's almost one show in town in machine learning, which is generative. You can look at what the money markets are doing at the moment. They're closed for many businesses, but very much open for generative AI. This is new. It is disruptive technology and it's capturing a moment where new things are possible that haven't been possible before. So there's a kind of a period of renewal happening with that's being instigated by this wave of generative AI. So for us, very much it's about adapting the technology and exploiting the opportunities that we foresee for transaction processing and fighting financial crime. And really what excites me, I think most about generative AI is that most ML models are to some degree a bit myopic, right? They're focused on a particular outcome. There can be a lot going on in the data that the model doesn't understand because it's focused on that particular outcome. So maybe it's fraud, maybe it's credit default monitor prediction, maybe it's total value prediction, something like that. Something that you know, some application. That if you're not if you're not modelling a bunch of biases and effects that are occurring in the data, then it's very easy and very possible for that that myopic model to be wrong-footed. What generative AI needs to do in order to do its job well is to be able to simulate and recover basically everything in the data. So it needs a complete and total data model. It needs a better understanding of, of what's going on in the data than a myopic needs model needs in order to perform well. So really, I think the first opportunity that we foresee is taking generative AI models, encapsulating that more complete understanding and then making that that understanding available as deep learned embeddings for our customers to build downstream models upon. So that, that's the first piece. And then there's a whole bunch of things that you can do once you understand the data well enough to be able to simulate it. So I think a big element of this is data portability. So in data portability, the, the challenge is that you may have the data but you may not be able to use it for the purposes that you'd like. So you, maybe you can't use it for testing. Maybe you can't use it for building consortia. Maybe you can't use it for running analytics over multiple customers or multiple jurisdictions. So there can be many reasons why you might want to use data in places that you're not able to, to move it for regulatory or data protection reasons. And if you're able to synthesize it, you can make a synthetic copy so what you're moving out of a production environment is a set of weights that allow you to simulate data that has the same properties as the data that's been off limits to you. And you can do this in such a way as to also remove any privacy biasing aspects that might be in that data. So that's, that's the first use case. I think 
there's plenty of stuff around data augmentation as well. So you can add things into your test data that you, into your training data that may be there in your test data, but which you need a model to be robust to, but which isn't in the training data that you have. So you no longer need to be limited by the training data that, that you've been able to collect. You can augment it and you can change it to have the properties that you want. And then finally, I think the final aspect that really excites me about this is what I might call counterfactual analysis, especially with real-time systems, which is what FeatureSpace works with. If you change a policy in, in terms of how your, how your system is acting and making decisions, then you just have to sit back and see what happens with, with an A-B test in order to understand downstream value of the changes that you've made. And with synthetic data, that's something that you can actually test. You, you can test the adaptation of a system to the interventions that you make. So you don't have to do this in quite a blind, of a, uh, <coughs> quite so blind of a way that, uh, that you, you do without having that complete data model. So I think that's the most exciting thing. I always like to finish on giving potential future employees a bit of an insight into future opportunities, but also from your perspective, you're heavily involved in the strategy, but also the team building. So when you're speaking to candidates at, during an interview process for whenever there's positions available, what is it that you tell them about Feature Space that gets them excited enough to join you guys over some of the other great companies currently hiring? I definitely pull on the kind of moral use argument that I think I touched on at the start. We're making the world a safer place and not just trying to make rich people richer, which for many people is a big motivator. And I'd pull on things like company being open to innovations, being generally free of free of politics and of that size where you have access to real data. We're not a we're not a small startup that where all the value that we're going to bring is downstream. If you make an innovation, it can go into production and it can touch the lives of hundreds of millions of people because we're in production with banks around the world. But at the same time, we are small enough to be agile around bringing those innovations into production. So I think we're in that sweet spot at the moment where innovation can have impact. And that's a really exciting thing. David, thank you so much for coming on today and talking to us. Great to learn about your own background. Fascinating journey from astrophysicist to now of innovation in a leading AI startup. The mission is one that a lot of people will benefit from. It's certainly one that it shows some incredible uses of AI and quite a lot of exciting projects that you've given us some insight to. So we appreciate your time. We wish you, the team and everyone at Feature Space the best of luck in the months and years to come. And we look forward to having you back on the show in the future. Thank you for having me. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Aldis Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any Android podcast of choice. You can also head over to our website, www.aldis.com, to listen to more podcasts, view our open roles, and stay up to date with industry news. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more great episodes coming very soon.